There we go. So Nehemiah is called to rebuild the the walls of the city of Jerusalem and reestablish the principles of that that city. Yet the enemies are are dead set against stopping the work. One of the main themes from last week is while the enemies would have loved to destroy Nehemiah, their measure of success was delaying the building process. So while they wanted to, they, they would have been thrilled to destroy Nehemiah and the people that were doing the building, their goal was not necessarily to win those battles, but to stop the forward progress of the rebuilding of this city. Nehemiah did several things that allowed him and the people to remain focused on the call in the midst of the battle that they had to fight. Can anybody help me recall the three that we went through last week? Three things that took place. This is the value of review. Also, it's the, the reason I'm recording these, all of our services um, are on our website. Most of our services are on our website. And then if you do podcasts, there's about seven different platforms that you can go back and listen to these messages on just by following the link on the website. So there's value in that because we're, we're struggling here. I'll give you the first one. He applied the people. So the first thing Nehemiah did was he applied the people. They all had a role to play. They had a job to do. They went out and they busied themselves in the work. Now the next step two, our kids found kind of funny. So that's kind of a hint. What was the second thing they did? They got their bows and their swords. He armed the people. And so we recognize the value of that. We recognize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're still mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we talked about prayer and fasting and Bible reading and being filled with the Holy Ghost. We talked about the, the armor of God. And the last thing he did is he assured the people. He said, Listen, first thing I want you to do is remember all that God has done for you in the past. And then also pull into your mind that He is a great and terrible God. So reach back and grab a hold of some of those testimonies and then move forward with an assurance that He is still able to do all of these things. Today we're going to move forward and we're going to talk about four more things because Nehemiah did seven things in total to help this people and to help himself stay focused on the call in spite of the battles. So we're going to go back to where we left off. In fact, we're going to start in the exact same verse, Nehemiah 4 and 14. I don't know how that speaker knows when I'm preaching. It stops when I stop. Nehemiah 4 and 14. This is the passage that we left off on last week. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and unto the rulers and unto the rest of the people... Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Okay, that's where we we kind of stopped. And he goes into the next phase with the rest of this verse. It says, And fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So the fourth thing that Nehemiah did is he aroused the people. He challenges them to keep in mind that it was not just themselves that they were fighting for. 
There are times in life when the battle can become so intense. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there now. If not, there's there's good chance that you're going to find yourself there in the future that the battle is so intense that if it was just about me, I would rather lose than go on fighting. It just mounts up and it could be one large thing or a multitude of small things, but the stress level rises to a point or the sorrow or, or the anger or whatever it is. And, and we get to a place where we think, I would just rather not fight. I would rather not fight. And when we consider this ragtag group of people in a city whose walls have been torn down for decades and now they have enemies on every side rising up against them. And, and if you looked at them on an individual basis, talked to them one-on-one, I think it would have been easy to say, you know, I was getting along okay before we started this project. It might not have been great, but I didn't have people coming from, from all around, miles on every side, to confront me. I was at least managing the devastation, and now I've got all these other problems. Got all this other stuff going on. Much less build. Like There are times when I don't even want to fight anymore, much less go on trying to build something. I just want to be left alone. Okay, You can make your own personal application, but I've been here. I've reached limits in life where I thought enough was enough. I, I'm done. I can, just, I can just go with the flow, as they say, for a while. And whatever happens, happens. And I'll just self-preserve and I'll be okay. But there are others that are counting on us to remain in the fight. And in the moments when I don't think I have anything left in me to move forward... It's the arousal that there are other people counting on me to continue that can propel me forward. We have spouses that are counting on us. We have children that are counting on us. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord that are are leaning upon us at times for strength. And we have lost people that really don't have a hope if we drop out of the fight. They're counting on me. It's not just about me. He told them, remember, remember your brethren, remember your sons and your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. It's more than you. It's not just about yourself. We would do well to remember that what one generation allows, the next generation will accept. If you want to break down where we are as a nation, think about this progression. What one generation allows, decides that they'll just put up with. They don't engage in it. They don't accept it. But, but what they allow the following generation will oftentimes accept. And what one generation accepts, the following generation will many times indulge in. And there is a slow erosion that takes place and the enemy, the spiritual enemy that we face has no problem playing the long game. And so when I make the decision, that's it. I I just don't have anything left in me. I'm just going to accept the way things are. That I am setting the stage for my children and those spiritually that will follow after me, not necessarily my physical children, but those that are going to become a part of the church or those that I'm going to have influence over and help reach to indulge in the very thing that I'm accepting. And it's that fact many times that will propel me to continue fighting for what's right, continue standing for what's good, continue moving forward and continue building something that is going to be beneficial to those that follow behind me 
We have to remain faithful in the fight for what God deems acceptable. We've got to stay in the fight for faithfulness to God. We've got to stay in the fight to remain holy. We've got to continue to fight compromise. We have to continue to fight to keep prayer a part of our lives and alive in our homes. Nehemiah aroused the people by reminding them that they were a part of something bigger than themselves. You and I are a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's not about you. It's one of the greatest things every Christian can can finally come to grips with. It sounds in your face and confrontational, but it's actually quite liberating. It's not about you. You win some, you lose some, but it's not about you. We're not building our own kingdom. This is His work. This is His, His church. This is His job. So every victory belongs to Him. If defeat comes our way, well, that belongs to Him. If rejection's cast in our direction, well, they're not rejecting you, the Scripture says. They're rejecting the one that sent you. We have a purpose, and it's bigger than ourselves. The fifth thing that Nehemiah did was he reactivated the people. Nehemiah 4, going down to verses 15 through 17. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both spears and shields and bows, and the har- yeah, harbingers, some kind of weapon, And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it. Every one with one of his hands wrought the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. So if you remember where we were in the story last week, the enemy had decided what we're going to do is we're going to come in and we're going to attack them in the areas where their defenses are low. They were put off, they were angered by the progress that was going forward, and they said, okay, we recognize some areas in the wall that's not yet built. Those are the areas that we're going to attack them in. And word of that came to Nehemiah, and he shared it with the people. That's when they all took up arms. And rather than just taking up arms and, and going and separating into all the weak points and being prepared and waiting for the enemy... Rather than being completely distracted by the battle, Nehemiah reactivates this people after they communicate these things and he sends them back to work. There was a time when the work ceased for a moment so that they could communicate. It was not out of fear of their enemy. It was simply to prepare for the battle that might come. However, once prepared, everyone returned to their own work. Notice they did not take up their weapons and go to battle. They took up their weapons and went to work. They just went back to work. The call was heavier on their hearts than anything else. They were now ready and equipped and prepared for battle, but they chose to continue to build. And they, if the battle came their way, they would be equipped. They would be prepared, but they didn't go out trying to defeat their enemies. They just continued building what God had called them to build. 
They were determined to fulfill the call of God in their lives. We as a church must have the same determination and mindset about building the community and the kingdom of God within our community. We have to, or or we must constantly reactivate ourselves in the work of Jesus. The work of God. That's what we're called to do. We're called to reach people. We're called to build His kingdom. We're called to love. We're called to invite. We're called to teach. But there are going to be times when the battle requires your full attention. Just like this in Nehemiah, there was a a portion of time, a segment of time, where he had to gather the people together and instruct them to get armed. I need you to get a bow. Who's got a spear? Okay, let's gather our shield. There was a, a time for communication. There are moments in life when tragedy strikes. And I would be a fool to stand before you in those times and say, push those feelings aside and just continue to build. No, because you can't. Tragedy hits and and we find ourselves broken and unable to move forward. There are times you might might lose a job or you face challenges. We heard about it today. People face challenges with their children. Or you find yourself just going and going and going and extreme fatigue sets in. And people say, well, just just get over it and, and move on anyways. No, you can't do that. As an employer within construction, I, I watch for that. If I see that people that are working with me or, or for me at the moment are becoming extremely tired, the wise thing to do is say, hey, you need to take a break. Take five, because if you don't, you're either going to hurt me or you're going to hurt yourself. So there are times when the battle causes us to give that our full attention. The issue occurs when we make it through the battle and then still fail to return to building. See, when the talking was done and the weapons were gathered and and everything that needed to be said had been said, they had a choice to make. And Nehemiah reactivated the people and they went back to work on the wall. The will of God is for you to play an active role in fulfilling His call. He does not have inactive disciples. He does not have you know, the B team or the bench warmers. In God's kingdom, everybody's a key role player. He has a purpose for you. He desires for you to be engaged in the kingdom. That's why we have for one of our goals this year a desire to grow in our output. Our output. And even saying that, it almost sounds carnal like, like We're going to do more, but we are called to do more. Not of our own strength, not of our own accord, but going back to the previous point, I've got to be assured in the fact that the God who's called me to do these things is able to, to use me and to work through me. And in that, I'm called to increase my productivity. That's why he took the, the one talent from the guy who buried it in the dirt. Who did he give it to? He gave it to the guy that had multiplied 10 into 10 more. Why? Because he, he reckoned, listen, you are, you're productive. I'm going to place some things in your hand because as God, I am looking for production. My output. What kind of things are, are, is your life producing? Are you making disciples? Are you instilling into your family and into the people that are closest to you principles that draw them closer to God? Are you building a ministry that's going to impact the eternity of people? Ministry doesn't take place behind this pulpit and behind the piano. That's a a style and a type of ministry. That's ministry 
to the body, but the body is called to minister to the world. What does your ministry look like? It's important to note that the Scripture said they each return to their work. They didn't each return to Nehemiah's work. They took personal ownership of what they had been called to do. Number six, Nehemiah instilled in them the importance of assembling themselves. He assembled the people. Nehemiah 4, 19-20 And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are spread upon the wall, one far from another. In what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. I gave you the measurements last week. The wall that they were building was just over 4,000 feet long, 36 feet tall, and approximately 7 feet thick. This was not a large group of people, and so the size of the call required the dispersing of the people. They could not do it from one place. They all had different places in the call that required their attention. This isolation of the people made them vulnerable as individuals to the attacks of the enemy. They had to either cease their work and remain together for the battle's sake or build in the face of danger. That was the choice that they had to make. We can keep ourselves in one location and be uh, better prepared to fight as a group against the enemy or we can leave the safety of our numbers and and we can return to our place on the wall in the face of danger, knowing that our enemy can easily outnumber us. They were building by family and by band and clan, and so their, their numbers were significantly smaller. All around the city, the enemy could attack from any side, and so they had to face this decision. And build on, they did. There was a plan in place that provided support for anyone that would come under attack. I wish two things. I wish I had a trumpet, and I wish I knew how to blow a trumpet without sounding completely challenged up here today. But when the people were working, there was a trumpet in their hands. In every station, in every area, there was, there was a trumpet present. And if at any point in time the enemy began to present itself on one front while the people were dispersed, there would be a trumpet that would sound and that was a signal and a sign to every single individual that would hear that trumpet to momentarily leave the work that they were doing and immediately gather to where the trumpet sounded to come alongside those that were in great need. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, just so I'm not pulling something out of Scripture in the Old Testament that isn't really there. Hebrews, New Testament, chapter 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another. So we need to be thinking about one another for what purpose? To provoke unto love and good works. That's our job when we gather together is to to provoke one another to love and to do good work. All right? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is 
but exhorting one one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The ability of the church to assemble is undoubtedly under attack. We prayed about it today, Daniel. You you do not physically have the ability right now to assemble with your local congregation. All across our nation, it's, it's under attack, the ability to assemble. And some well-meaning Christians have uh, aided this attack. Well-meaning Christians have aided the attack of the enemy. The church has left the building. They got t-shirts. Slow, it's all over social media and the internet. The church has left the building. While I understand the surface level meaning of the saying, it undermines in a new and Old Testament principle of God's Word that it is incredibly valuable for God's people to assemble. Do I agree with the, the surface level facade of what it's saying? Yes, the church doesn't need to be isolated to the building. This is, this is the church building. We are the church. So when we go out to work and we go home and we interact with people in, in town, we should still be the church. We're not confined to the building. All right? But we do need a place to gather together. We have to do that. What we, and I say we very loosely, uh, American Christians, but we are showing that we are so willing to give up. Christians in communist communities or countries risk their lives for on a regular basis. Could it be that we've become so accustomed to what we have that we have... I mentally lost the ability to place proper value on it. The saying says familiarity breeds contempt. We're just familiar with the ability to gather together, and yet there are people in Arab countries and countries where the Word of God has been outlawed that are gathering in basements and in alleys with very little light just so that they can get together. If it's not important, why are they laying their life on the line because there's value in assembling together. There are two things that I want you to notice in these verses from Nehemiah. Number one, someone had to blow the trumpet. And number two, everyone was expected to respond. We gather together sometimes in physical presence, but we leave our problems in the car. We leave our challenges at home and we put on a smile and we show up at church and we do our Sunday thing and then we go home. I'm afraid that maybe I'm not the only one that doesn't know how to blow a trumpet anymore. Talking with a friend over the past week, he, he was talking about how he was doing a, a study and so many times in Scripture it was the individual that would, that would cry out, that would get the attention of God. And we don't cry out anymore. People say, well, I'm crying out in my heart. And that's wonderful and that's great, but it's also somewhat prideful because what it communicates is I'm willing to let God see my vulnerability, but I'm ashamed to let anyone else know that I'm struggling. I'm embarrassed to let anybody else know that I'm under attack. I'll just deal with this on my own. Other people have problems too. Why, why would I bother them with what I'm dealing with? My little issue isn't that big of a deal and we downplay the attacks that we face. And like the people here, we're spread out 
and we're in all different areas of life and different areas of our community and we're trying to get the work of God done and the enemy shows up in large numbers and with great force and somehow we think that our little clan with our bows and our shields can can withstand the attack. The Scripture says somebody, somebody, it implies that somebody had to pick up a trumpet and over here, hey, I'm hurting today. I'm going through something in life. I need help. Somebody had to lift their voice and get real among the people of God. Somebody had to be willing to say there's a there's a problem and I I, I don't think we can overcome. There, there's not enough of us. We're not we're not fighting enough. We we don't have enough resources over here. We we need some people to come. And then everybody knew when the trumpet blew, I'm putting the trowels down and I'm coming alongside somebody. Hey, you said you need some help. What do you need? What can I do? How how can I aid you? You need encouragement? Oh, hey, you need some prayer today? Let let, let me pray with you. I'm supposed to, i got to provoke you to some good work. Come on, man, you can make it. You're going to do this. It's going to be all right. You're going you're gonna to overcome. It's okay, folks. we got this. We're here. The whole church body is gathering together. Why? Because somebody is willing to blow the trumpet, and there's a culture within the community that says, if there's somebody I'm connected to that needs something, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I don't care if it's physical. I don't care if it's spiritual. If you've got a flat tire... Or, or if you're, you're struggling to, to just stay out of the bar. It doesn't matter what it is. There's got to be a level of community. We soft sell this idea of unity so often that it's just us getting together and smiling. We just skip around. No, unity is saying, listen, on your good days, I'm with you. And on your bad days, I'm still there. It's going to be all right. We're, oh, you fell down? Let, let me help you up. Because there's going to be a time when I'm down there and I'm going to need somebody to come alongside and lift me up. Somebody had to blow the trumpet and everybody, everybody had to respond. Don't be too proud to let someone know when you're under attack. We've got to learn to pray for one another. We've got to learn to come alongside each other with fellowship. There are times that health or help doesn't necessarily look like help when you have to look a brother or sister in the face and, and tell the truth that they don't want to hear, but you share it in love. Many times we have to come alongside and provide encouragement to those that are downcast. Nehemiah recognized that there would be times when it was important to gather the people, to assemble the people. There's a trumpet that sounds every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. There's a trumpet that sounds every Wednesday at 6.30. And we have opportunities to gather together. But those are, those are corporate trumpets. Those are trumpets that are, are coming from organization. You need to know that you have access to your own trumpet. What's it look like? It looks like a cell phone. The church can still be there for you on a Tuesday. Brothers and sisters in God can show up and help you out on a Thursday or a Saturday. Fellowship can take place on a Monday night. Whenever you're in need, there is a church that ought to be willing to assemble. And lastly, the seventh thing that Nehemiah finds himself doing is admonishing the people. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Likewise, at the same time, 
said I unto the people, Let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they mer- their, bah, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. It's a good thing they didn't bathe with their clothes on. But he said unto them, everybody, everybody that's here, everybody that's a part of it, I need you to do something for me. I need you to stay within Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an Old Testament image and picture of the church. To admonish is to advise or urge. He's saying to the people, I, I'm urging you to remain within the safety of the walls that we are building. You see, once you step outside of these walls, you're leaving the call. You're leaving the, the trumpet zone, if you will. Even if only for the night it was dangerous to be placed outside the call. The enemy was outside of the walls. Stepping outside of the walls would be to forsake the promise of God and the protection of His people. It seems like a foolish statement considering that the walls were not even complete. Nehemiah is telling the people to stay within the walls that had flaws. Stay within the walls that were problematic and had weak spots and areas where they were incomplete and still destroyed. And yet he was telling them that it was those walls that would provide protection. That's an interesting concept. They were imperfect, but still productive in providing protection. Many people would ask the question out of uh, not spite or uh, attitude or problems, but they ask the question, why, why does the church have standards? You could say standards, you could say rules, you could say bylaws, etc. Why does the church focus on how people should talk? or the type of dress, or where to go, and where not to go, and what to watch, and listen to, and read. Why, why is that a conversation? First of all, Nehemiah did not dictate this instruction. This was not a command. It was an admonishment. It was an urging. Secondly, he did not withhold the instruction. He instructed the people as he was led of God, and they had to make a decision. I say that because in context of any kind of of wall, any kind of standard that's presented by the church, we have to remain a church where all people are welcome and wanted. I can't be any more clear about that. These doors and the, the community that we are creating are not closed to anyone. Anyone, for any reason. Because I don't see Jesus turn anybody away from His ministry. He calls people to make changes. He calls people to grow all throughout their relationship with Him. But He never turns them away. Because we are willing, I'm sorry, unwilling to leave what Jesus has called us to, we do encourage everyone to dwell within the promise and the protection of what's being built. And trying to wrestle with putting these two concepts together in a way that's easily understood, this is what I came to. God's standards are not in place to create isolation, but rather provide insulation to His church for effective world penetration. 
The things that God calls us to are not identified and designed, although we are called to come out from among them and be separate. But it's not about isolation. It's about insulation so that we can go into a lost world and be effective in doing God's work. So, for reference, if I refrain from watching movies or listening to music that's full of profanity and swearing, it will serve as insulation to my vocabulary. So that when I hit my finger with a hammer at work, those words are less likely to come out of my mouth. Which in turn will catch the attention of those that I work with and give me an opportunity to tell them about how Jesus has impacted my life. Now, nobody's going to show up in your family room and say, wait a minute, now hold on, you can't do that, you can't. Nobody's going to be riding down the road with you in your car and say, oh, you don't listen to that channel, don't do that. Don't. That's not how it works. There's instruction that goes out. And, and I just know that, I use that example because it's kind of personal. When you smash your thumb with a hammer, there's not a lot of time to process what happens next. There is a reaction that takes place. And my reaction is going to be determined by what I have filled my life with. What I filled my life with. So though I have no desire to blurt out a swear word, though I have no desire to respond with rage, if it's in me, and I, I have filled myself with that, and my mind, if it's there in my mind, then it may just happen as a reaction. And then robs me of that opportunity to talk about God. God's standards are not in place to create isolation, but rather provide insulation to His church for effective world penetration. Coming to a close, back to the story I've shared many times, my call to start a church in this city. God's question, why don't you start an apostolic church in Fergus Falls? There was a call to build something. It was not a demand. It wasn't a, you do this or else. It was a call to build in the beginning stages of this church, God has chosen to, or He has seen fit to incorporate you into the foundation of what He desires to build here. That's quite the compliment. Battles are unavoided, or unavoidable. But we can learn from these seven actions of Nehemiah how to continue building in the midst of the battle. I'll close with a simple summary. Apply yourself to God's work. Find something to do. Stay well armed spiritually. Be assured that we are serving a God who has done great things and still can do great things. Keep in mind that you are a part of something bigger than yourself, and we have others counting on what it is that we have been called to build. Intentionally reactivate yourself in the building after the battle requires your attention. Faithfully lean into the assembling of God's people and choose to live within the guidelines that He brings our way. 
The call of God was daunting to Nehemiah and the people he worked with. But it was because a unified group of people remained committed to building in the battle that the task was ultimately achieved. They made it work. They made it work. We're going to pray. Our call, it could be said, just trying to find us a song here. Our call could be said that it is daunting. It's tough. Start a church, build a church, reach a people. But if a unified group of people will remain committed to building, I'm not promising it always be easy. I'm telling you that the, the contrary. There will be battles. But if we remain faithful to building in spite of the battle, we will be successful in what God has called us to do. I encourage you to take a few moments and pray. I'll get some music on here in just a moment, but we don't need music to talk to the Lord. Just spend a few minutes thinking about these seven things and talking to God about them. Pray through them in your own mind, in your own life. Allow God to talk to you today. Maybe I won't figure out any music. Let's pray. God, you've been good to us. Thank you for these things. Thank you for your encouragement, Lord. Things that you've pointed out in your word. Read through Nehemiah many times and haven't seen it as clearly as this has been spelled out. Be kind, Lord, to share things with us. Help me, Lord, to remain active, to be applied to what it is that you've called me to do. Find my place and continue to serve no matter what comes my way. Help me not to lay down the weapons of prayer and the word and the spirit. I want to be well armed. I want to be able to move forward in the kingdom. I want to be able to fend off the attacks that come my way. I want to be helpless. Arm me. Arm our church, God. Teach us how to use these weapons. A weapon in the unskilled hands of a man would be dangerous. God, you're able to teach us how to pray, teach us how to fast, and apply your word, operate in the spirit, apply the armor of God to our lives. Hallelujah. Help the Lord to find my confidence in you. When struggles come up, I don't want to have to lean into my own abilities, God. I recognize fully I'm not enough to stand against the things that come our way. But I trust that you are. I see the things that you've done. If you can part seas and calm winds and 
speak to diseases the noise there's no challenge that would come my way that would stop us from being able to, to move forward as a body praise you thank you jesus lord when there are times that calls me to waver and i become weak to remind me that i'm i'm not just fighting for myself you've placed us here you've placed us here lord to be a city on a hill be a, a representation of who you are to the city around us. Give us a voice within our community and help us to have influence, Lord, that we can reach people that are hurting and broken and in need, those that are lost and on their way to eternity without you. Jesus, man. I want to be honest enough about it. When I'm in need of ministry, when I'm in need of church to come alongside and help, Help us to have a better understanding, Lord, of what it really is to assemble ourselves together, to, to put one part connected to another. Just placing all the parts in the same area, that's not assembly. Lord, it's sometimes not assembled until there's a, a union, a connection that takes place. Let that be within our church. Bind us together. Give us a heart for one another. Let us love one another. Care for each other. Pray for each other. Be there to encourage and strengthen. Stand alongside in every battle. Oh, praise you. We need to assemble ourselves, Lord. We need you to do it. You're the one that knows where every part goes. Where every person's called to places where he wants to be. God, let us be committed to dwelling within any call that you place on us. Be faithful to the things that you call us to dwell within security of your presence. To dwell within the presence of the Lord forever. Give you all the glory and all the praise for it, God. You're the one who's able to make it all happen. We need you. We love you and we worship you. But I'm asking these things in my own life today. We pray them corporately, but Lord, I need it in my life. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess now what we do is we go back to work. <laughs> there was the time that they assembled together and talked, and then they they went back to their work. So I encourage you.